0: If you have one, you can turn in your Bible to Matthew's Gospel. We'll look at chapter 5, verses 27 through 32 this morning. text is also in the bulletin on the next page. Well, um, as we talk about frequently here, uh, God is a relational God. We're talking about the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. His being is relational. He's a relational God. Uh, He's unique in that way. And uh, he says that our relationships matter. It's very important to a relational God, our relationships. Uh, In many important ways, he tells us how we are to relate to each other, uh, even in the secret thoughts of our heart. Uh, And that can seem deeply offensive and restrictive to a lot of people. You know, the idea that anyone would tell us how to live in our relationships. Uh, The nerve, right, of a God like this who would uh, claim to uh, tell us how to live in our relationships. And it seems it's made even worse by the fact that God demands not just this external compliance uh, of our words or our actions, but the perfect purity of mind and heart when it comes to our relationships. Uh, But in Christ, uh, we can believe that this is good. We can believe that that God's will for us is good, that when he tells us how to live in our relationships, that's good, and it reveals something good and wonderful and beautiful about him. And in Christ, we can trust that... um, You know, even though we can't fulfill the righteous requirements of the law, uh, we can find forgiveness, and we can find freedom to relate to each other in new and blessed ways as citizens of his heavenly kingdom. So uh, we'll talk about that uh, this morning with regard to adultery and faithfulness uh, here from uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, help us uh, not just to make sense of your word, but to hear you and to relate to you and to be truly changed in all of our relationships by your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it out, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So that's the kind of stuff that uh, when Jesus says it, people say back to him, you want the impossible, (laughs) And, uh, and they walk away. Jesus is well aware of the impossibility of the demands of the scriptures, demands like this, but he insists on them, and he never relaxes the commandments, and he insists that this is the goodwill of God for us, and then he opens his life up to us so that we can enter his kingdom and begin actually to do the impossible as we participate in his life. Um, So here, he is expounding the seventh commandment. You can find the Ten Commandments uh, in Exodus chapter 20 probably should memorize them, at least in short form. Uh, The seventh commandment is, you shall not commit adultery. So um, Jesus here in this passage is preaching against what the religious experts of his day were teaching. Uh, They would have taught that this commandment is really only concerned with the level of our behavior, right? He says, uh, with complete authority and with complete clarity, this command is not just about your behavior. It's about your heart. We might like to believe that as long as we're just you know we don't sleep with the wrong person, then we'll be okay. After all, who could reasonably expect such perfection from us that we would never even have lustful thoughts about other people? <clears throat> Unrealistic, right? But Jesus says even wrong thoughts about the wrong people amount to the same thing as the physical act. That's what he says adultery. In the heart, but adultery. So we all tend to define uh, adultery specifically as the physical act of engaging in sexual relations with someone other than our lawful spouse. Adultery is what a married person does, right? Uh, With somebody other than your spouse. But Jesus reveals the definition of, of God's commandment to include not just the physical act, but our imagination includes our secret thoughts and desires. And he says that true sexual faithfulness must be something that comes from the very depths of our hearts. So, uh, so let's take just a few minutes to build a basic understanding of sexual faithfulness from a biblical perspective. Uh, the triune God created us. He created us all to be relational beings. And an important part of that relationality is our sexuality, right? Right? Uh, it's one of the first things that's said about the creation of humanity in the Bible right after we're created. It says uh, it's, it's this sub- substantial part of who we are. There's no neuter human being. There's no genderless human being. There are two sexes, male and female. God created them male and female. Right? Uh, beings whose very se- uh, um, physical biology it makes up our reality. Our physical biology makes up our reality. Our sexuality is a part, a real part of our personhood. Uh, beings whose sexuality is a real gift from God. Contrary to popular trends, uh, we are not meant to relate to each other just as genderless people. Uh, We relate as males and females to other males and females. That's how we relate. We can't even begin to touch on everything that means here. Um, Sorry if that just opens a lot of, you know, big cans of worms or whatever. Uh, But the relational reality that we're made male and female. That's important. That's important. Since God is a relational God and relationships matter to him, therefore our sexuality matters to him. Um, He has ordained marriage to be a unique relationship between one man and one woman, and he said that it is the one and only place where the sexual union is good. The only place where it's good Only in this relationship that's characterized by mutual faithfulness to each other. this commitment to each other. So God instituted marriage in the Garden of Eden before sin entered entered the world. So it's a good part of God's creation. Uh, And this is what is said there about uh, the marriage union in Genesis chapter 2. Talking about the first man and the first woman. Uh, It says that a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So this is talking about the inextricable intertwining of two lives, in every way, really, uh, that's consummated or represented by the joining of the flesh, the sexual union. So, with reference to this, Jesus will say later in Matthew's Gospel, and this is another big passage uh, having to do with these things in Matthew 19, we'll talk more about it, You know, in a few decades, whenever we get to Matthew 19, but um, uh, he says that, uh, so there are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. You hear that a lot at weddings, right? So once the marriage covenant has been formed, no one is to drive any sort of wedge in between husband and wife for any reason. Marriage and the sexual union of husband and wife in marriage is God's idea. It's good. It's intended to be lifelong, just as the you hear them in the wedding vows, right? Usually reflect uh, each one takes the other to be lawfully wedded husband and wife, uh, lawfully united as long as we both shall live, right? It's supposed to be lifelong, faithful commitment. There's something about that exclusive lifelong mutual commitment of marriage that is characterized uh, by love and by the sexual faithfulness of the husband and wife to each other, that, that God says as it's an important part of our humanity. Really important part of our humanity. So, uh, scriptures say in Hebrews chapter 13: let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. It's important, important stuff to him, right? The Bible doesn't just uh, require that every individual has to be married. That's, you'll find that nowhere in the Scriptures, right? Or else, you know, somehow you won't experience the fullness of humanity or something if you're not married. That's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, yes, there is a spiritual sense in which every person, whether single or married, is to identify with the bride of Christ, to find ourselves in union with the bridegroom, our heavenly bridegroom, Jesus. That relationship, that really is the true fulfillment of your humanity, whether you are in an earthly marriage or not. But, the scriptures say, let marriage be held in honor among all. Among all. So even single folks should hold earthly marriage in honor, in some sense. Um, Because you know what? Even single folks can defile the marriage bed. Even single folks can commit adultery and break God's commandment. Uh, so we tend to think that adultery is something that a married person does when he or she cheats on their spouse, right? But the word adultery in the Bible uh, often or maybe usually means, um, when it's being talked about in the Scripture, engaging in sexual relations with someone who is married to someone else. Right? So, uh, and, and remember, it's not just engaging in that act, It's now it's... Um, even the imagination of it qualifies. So sexual faithfulness is not just something for those who are married. Sexual faithfulness is not just something for those who are married. Sexual faithfulness is something God wants for all his people, for anyone who is male or female relating to other males and females. So when God forbids adultery in the seventh commandment, Uh, This is something really great about our Constitution, the Westminster Confession of Faith, and the larger catechism, that question and answer form of things that we believe, and the the Westminster Shorter Catechism, a little bit easier maybe, uh, shorter answers. Uh, But the the Westminster Larger Catechism talks about this. um, uh, When God issues a commandment, and it says something like, you shall not commit adultery, well, there's positive aspects of what that means. It's not just what you're forbidden to do. It means you should do good things instead. So he's promoting, God is promoting positively the sexual faithfulness of all of his people in the seventh commandment because all people are sexual beings in relationship with other sexual beings, whether or not we are ourselves in that unique sexual relationship of marriage. So uh, Westminster Larger Catechism says that the duties required, these positive aspects of what it means to fulfill the commandments of God, the duties required in the seventh commandment are, chastity in body, mind, affections, words, and behavior, and the preservation of it in ourselves and others. This is what sexual faithfulness is. Chastity in all these ways, the preservation of it in ourselves and others. So if you're single, you're to look to maintain the sexual purity of others whether they are single or married. If you're married, you're not just supposed to pay attention to yourself and make sure you don't cheat on your spouse. You're supposed to be concerned with your spouse's faithfulness as well. I mean, this is, this is what Jesus is talking about when he says in verse 32, Everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. All right, so Jesus is saying, you know, look, if your wife cheats on you and commits sexual immorality, then she has already separated what God has joined together. She has already violated the relationship and broken the marriage covenant. She's, she's already joined herself to someone else and established a new you know, one-flesh union with someone else. She's already sinned. She's already broken God's law. She's already been sexually unfaithful. So if you have to divorce her for that reason, then you won't be causing her to be sexually unfaithful. She's already done that. Otherwise, if you divorce her for any reason, you will be the one responsible for making her commit adultery. You'll be the one responsible for separating what God has joined together when you should have sought to preserve your wife's sexual faithfulness. So true sexual faithfulness, according to the Word of God, is when we relate to each other in ways that are holy, preserving the special place of sexual union in marriage, whether that's in our own marriage or in the marriages of others, and desiring this, this good will of God uh, from the depths of our hearts. So uh, 1 Thessalonians says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So sanctification, I mean, that's a, you know, it's a big word. You find it in the scriptures theological word, it's spiritual religious language, right? It means growing in holiness, growing, you could say, in Christ-likeness, right? Becoming more like God himself, sanctification, right? But with this relational God, the the triune God who's being his love, growing in holiness, sanctification, you know, this religious thing, it doesn't mean performing these abstract religious rituals. never does for us. The kind of sanctification that God wants, the kind of spiritual holiness that God wants, It's not in learning how to chant, it's not in lighting candles or incense, it's not in wearing special clothing that separates you from other people, it's not in observing special diets or bringing sacrifices to a temple or other cultic practices. Sanctification means living with God in your relationships. Sanctification means living with reference to God as you relate to other people. Living how God himself would live in those relationships if he were a human being, which means as Jesus himself lives by the power of God's Spirit. It means living as a sexual being in relationship with other sexual beings, filled with the Holy Spirit, who makes us faithful and concerned with the faithfulness of others, just as Jesus is faithful and concerned with the faithfulness of others. God gave us the covenant of marriage for several good purposes, uh, to reflect God's image in our love for someone who is different from us, uh, to enjoy true intimacy with someone who's different from us and, and mutual vulnerability and mutual self-gift and security and support Right to enjoy good things and so that our love would be the creative source of new life as the marital sexual union produces new life, children. Right? And again, not every person is called to enter into a marriage relationship and that's, that's not just fine, that's not just okay, that's good. That's good that not every person is called to enter into a marriage relationship. God's will for single people is good. Sure, sometimes it's hard to be single. That's okay. Sometimes it's hard to be married. Either way, every person is called to the same sanctification, the same holy, uh, spirit-filled, other-centered sexual faithfulness, where you're concerned not just for your own faithfulness, but for that of others as well. At various times and in various places, people have picked up the idea that the church teaches sex is bad, right? Sex is generally bad. It's basically a necessary evil. Uh, sometimes preachers have actually taught that. You can find that in the history of the church. Sometimes that's just the world making it a bad extrapolations from what they hear us saying. But the scriptures teach that God made us to be sexual beings. He gave us the gift of marital sexual union And he declares that it is good. Sexual faithfulness is when you live with reference to God regarding sex, when you listen to what he says and when you do it for his sake. So if you're single, it means uh, remaining celibate outside of marriage. And if you're married, it means uh, staying true to your spouse. And it means upholding and promoting the sexual faithfulness of others, whether you're single or whether you're married. It means not just doing that behavior, but doing it from a pure heart. Wanting what God says is best for you and for your spouse and for your friends and for all people. If you even look at another person with lustful intent, then you've not been sexually faithful, whether you're married or not, because your heart was out of alignment with God's will for your sexuality. It became very self-centered if you looked at another person with with lustful intent. Adulterers... Uh, Reduce sexuality to self-gratification, right? We objectify others, violate relationships, and most importantly, we disregard God when we commit adultery. That's what adultery really is. It's betraying God. It's betraying love as God defines it. It's betraying the love of self-gift as God has defined it. It's betraying other people, and it's using other people for self-centered reasons. It's false intimacy. It's counterfeit love. And really, by Jesus' definition of God's commandment here, we all do that. We all do it. None of us are sexually faithful on the heart level that he's talking about. And Jesus says, whatever it is in us that causes us to sin in such ways needs to be killed. So that we could be saved by cutting it out. So we could be saved and live in God's kingdom, which is true life. So if you had a a cancerous tumor in your body, some of you have experienced that. Some of you have loved ones who have experienced that. If you've had a cancerous tumor in your body that was going to kill you, and if your life could be saved by cutting it out, you'd cut it out if you could. Even if it were an important organ in your body that's infested with the tumors you would cut out that organ if it meant life for you. The sexually unfaithful have something of a spiritual cancer in us, and unfortunately, it's not just tumors that need to be cut out. It's our own organs and our own members. There's something wrong with us that needs to die so that we can live. So Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin... Tear it out and throw it away. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So, this is symbolic language. Uh, Sadly, some people have taken it literally, and uh, you can find instances in uh, church history where people have physically cut off parts of their own bodies in order to try to rid themselves of lusts. Don't do that, it's not going to help. Uh, If it would help, I'd say, sure, go for it. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. In fact, just removing body parts is not nearly as radical as what Jesus is actually saying here. Jesus is talking about the eye. He talks about that as the the means of looking at someone uh, lustfully. And then the hand is the means of acting on your lusts. And he talks about the right eye, and he talks about the right hand. Uh, as the best, the most important, the most valuable, the the most useful members of your body generally, right? That's what we find in the scriptures, uh, that kind of language, the right eye or the right hand. And of course, if you could enter the kingdom of heaven by simple surgical procedures like that, go ahead and do it, right? You would do it, but uh, you might suspect you could still lust if you gouged out one eye. And you could still act on your lust even if you cut off your dominant hand. Right? In fact, you could be missing all kinds of body parts, sexual body parts even, and still have the capacity to lust and commit adultery and lack the pure heart love for others that is required to be sexually faithful. The real problem is in your heart. It's at the core of your person, the core of your identity. Jesus says the problem is in your heart. If your eye causes you to sin, what are you going to do about it? If your hand causes you to sin, what are you going to do about it? Where do you think Jesus is going with that? Where is he going with that? The problem of sin, it's, it's ingrained in our soul. It somehow spiritually resides in the fabric of our being in the very core of who we are in such a way that you cannot rid yourself of it apart from cutting it out entirely. And if the problem's in your heart, you need to cut out your heart. Spiritually speaking. And that means dying. It means if you want to live in God's kingdom, you have to die. You have to die. If you want to live in God's kingdom of love where you're filled with his spirit, where you live as a sexual being relating to other sexual beings in holiness, where you are faithful to God and to others in your life, where you live to preserve the faithfulness of others that you've got to cut out your old heart. You've got to cut out your old self and live with a new heart, a new self, a new identity with new desires. Which means you need Jesus. Jesus, he's the faithful bridegroom to a faithless, utterly faithless bride, his people. Uh, John Frame says that whenever we sin, we can think of it as marital unfaithfulness. Because of our relationship with God, because of the way God defines our relationship with him. Whenever we sin, we can think of it as marital unfaithfulness, and we should think of it that way, better to understand our radical need of forgiveness from our heavenly husband. So it's because of our unfaithfulness that our heavenly husband was stripped naked and publicly shamed. Right? He opened himself up in the complete vulnerability of love and self-gift, and we mocked him. We humiliated him, we abandoned him, we, we tormented his righteous soul. The faithful one took on our uh, adultery, the one who had committed no adultery, took on our adultery upon himself at the cross where he died, and therefore where our adulterous heart, our faithless self, died with him. He covered us with his love, he spread the garments of his righteousness over us, So that in him, God is absolutely delighted to receive us, to forgive our faithlessness, to fill us with his spirit of faithfulness. So if you want to live in the kingdom of heaven, you need Jesus because only in him has your heart been cut out and you survive the process. Only in him is your heart made new so that you can live in true faithfulness, even as God would live, were he one of us. God is one of us now in Christ. And that one's life is alive in us through his spirit by faith in Jesus. Only in him is there hope for a forgiveness we could never deserve. Uh, you and I have been adulterers of the heart, and we know, that, uh, we know from Jesus that such do not inherit the kingdom of heaven. But with Jesus, we can be assured of God's forgiveness, and we can know true intimacy with him and true faithfulness too. Whether single or married, we've been brought into a new union with the Son of God. So we can say, along with the Song of Solomon, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. And when you belong to Jesus like that, and he belongs to you, and you enjoy real spiritual intimacy with him, and real mutual vulnerability and security, then your life changes. Your life changes. Can't help but change. The old heart, with all its self-centeredness, its objectification of other people, its consumption of other people for their own pleasure, that old heart is dead, having been crucified with Christ. And you have a new heart, alive to God, one that beats to the rhythm of his holy love, his love that's unlike any other love. One that holds human sexuality and marriage in honor. One that looks to the good of others and prays for the faithfulness of all those who belong to Jesus that we all may be sanctified and participate in Jesus' own faithful life. This commandment reveals the beauty of God's faithfulness, even to unfaithful people like us. We especially see the beauty of God's faithfulness as he fulfills this commandment on our behalf in Christ. It was costly for Jesus to be faithful. It was costly for him to be faithful, and it'll be costly for you to be faithful, too. It'll cost you at least your old, dead, selfish heart to live with a new love, and a new faithfulness that comes from Jesus. But participating in his heavenly kingdom, participating in his very life, filled with his very spirit, you can begin to do what's impossible for sinners to do. You can relate to others in new and blessed ways. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we must confess that our own sexual faithfulness is... uh, beyond us. It's lost to us. Apart from you, we cannot live up to your word from our old dead hearts. We need your forgiveness. We need new hearts in Christ. We need the power of your spirit, uh, the spirit of divine love to change us. We want to be faithful like you. We want to live faithful lives for your sake because of our relationship with you. So we pray that you please would help us uh, to be free from our sins, even to be dead to our sins, and to be alive to you in ways that we never could have imagined. We pray that you would purify our imaginations, make our hearts holy, and help us to follow your Son in all faithfulness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.